0: Hey, Pawn Family! It's Egal, and welcome back to another episode of the Pawn Leaders Podcast. If you haven't already, go over to Facebook and join us in the Pawn Leaders Podcast community, where we talk about pawn broking, leadership, marketing, and strategy. It's a great conversation. Go over and join us. On this episode, I had Steve Krupnik on, and it was incredible. He dropped so many value bombs, so much incredible information. That uh, I had to move him up in the queue and release his episode as soon as possible. And if you don't know who Steve Krupnik is, uh, Steve Krupnik enjoyed 30 years in the pawnbrooking industry and he transformed his pawn shops, uh, who were located in this small Midwestern towns, to some of the busiest and most profitable pawn shops in the state of Indiana. He was the founder and past president of the Indiana Pawnbroker Association. He was a director of the National Palm Brokers Association, and in 1999, he was awarded the National Palm Broker of the Year. He's represented our industry on radio, on television, in print media. He wrote a book called Pawnonomics. It was a bestseller, and he's just he's created products for the palm industry. He's a great speaker and an amazing entrepreneur, and the value he gives in this podcast is ridiculous. Don't just listen to it once. Listen to it twice. I've listened to it over and over and over again. Uh, I gave it to the, to the guys in my mastermind two weeks early because it had so much value. Uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, my interview with Steve Krupnik. Hey everyone, my name is Igalodato and this is the Pawn Leaders Podcast. A podcast to help you make more money, stress less, and live an epic life, all while working at the pawn shop. Steve Krupnick, welcome to the Paul Leaders Podcast.
1: Yagal, thanks for having me on, and I'm excited to be here today.
0: Awesome. You know, I always ask, I have a Facebook community, and I ask everybody, who do you want to come on the show? Who do you think would be a great guest? And uh, your name kept on coming up, and I was reaching out, and I'm like, how do I find this guy? And uh, I finally reached out to you via LinkedIn. You answered me quickly. You said yes, and I'm honored to have you here, so I'm excited for it.
1: I'm real excited and I hope we can uh get them some information today on this podcast where they they're actually glad they asked for me.
0: Nice nice. <laughs> Great. So um obviously many people in the pawn world know who you are, know what you did, you've been around the block in the pawn uh arena. Uh but for those of of the listeners who don't know you, how long ago did you start in the pawn industry?
1: I st- I started in the pawnbroking industry in 1977. The price of gold was at $167 an ounce. Wow! I started writing loans at 3% per month, plus 25 cents a month storage. And I was too damn dumb to know I couldn't make money at that. So you know what? I made money. And I was in the pawn business full-time as a pawn broker with multiple locations for 30 years.
0: Wow. In what state? Indiana. Indiana. All right. Very cool. And um, so you did broking for 30 years. And then while I was a young pawnbroker, I stumbled on a lot of your videos. You wrote a book, pawn, Pawnonomics. You uh, had different websites, you know, pawn coach and how to open up a pawn shop. And I remember my brother and I, even though we were third generation pawnbrokers, we'd watch some of the videos and, and ask who's this guy. And uh, so how did you transition? You, you had a pawn shop, you had some stores, and then you became, you know, a, a pawn coach, which I consider myself the same today. So I'd like to hear from the, the godfather of pawn coaching, um, <laughs> how, you became, <laughs> how you became a pawn coach and what you did for, for other people.
1: Well, before I became the pawn coach, I became something much more important. For the first time in my life, I became a husband. And along with this package and this love of my life came an adorable uh, stepdaughter. And just starting to get into the teen years. And I said, man, I've been doing pawnbroking for 30 years. I don't want to miss this opportunity, which is the reason, that's the sole reason I sold my pawn business. I thought, okay, I know how to make money. What do I do next? Well, let me see. I've been on the National Pawn Brokers Association board for so many years. I founded the Indiana Pawn Brokers Association. People have been asking me advice about this industry for many decades. Maybe I can sell the advice. That'd be fun. So that's that's. I sold my stores, and I transitioned into the uh, coaching industry, and it was so much fun. I, I really had a ball with it. And uh, unfortunately, I was a little too successful. What do I mean by that? I, I ended up with thousands of clients in 16 different countries, and uh they all wanted more of me and they wanted the things they should have wanted they wanted one-on-one consulting they wanted on-site consulting they wanted uh monthly continuity newsletters they wanted mastermind groups they want they wanted the things that i could further help them with and those were things i was not willing to do because it would have put me in the same position of being away from my new wife and my new daughter. So I slowly transitioned out of that, even though it was just a rip-roaring blast. But Yagal, I guess you put me back into it today. So let's oh, rock.
0: Nice, so let's talk about your time in you know in the consulting coaching world. I saw a video of you today from 2009, when you were wearing this awesome uh, Japanese, I believe Japanese or Chinese, Outfit. Yep. And uh, you were talking about how your time at the NPA and as a consultant, you'd walked into hundreds of pawn shops. So, for those people who are listening, I want you to let them know what did you see in the pawn shops that were successful? And what did you see in the pawn shops that weren't successful? And what differentiated the two?
1: A number of things, really, but uh, uh, some real basics. Uh, When I was doing all the pawn shops and stopping every time I got a chance, I mean, I was looking for ideas. Come on, I'm doing it this way. Show me a better way to do it. Uh, And I learned so much of what not to do and a little bit of what I could be doing. So it it was very useful all along. But the, the thing that really opened my eyes was I had to change the six inches of real estate between my ears because I thought I knew what the pawn industry was and there were a few places that had my eyes wide open and I went, oh my God. And this is probably possible in my market too. And I tried things and they were. But there's a lot of things that I learned to do especially marketing higher end pawn loans. I mean, it doesn't take you any longer to write a $5,000 pawn loan than it does to write a $50 pawn loan. True. All you've got to do is sell them and sell them effectively and know how to take care of that customer that may need that larger sum in a a short-term loan. And don't kid yourself, I don't care what market you're in. I don't care if you're in Chicago or if you're in Keokuk, Iowa, they're there. Look for any business person who has a roller coaster type of cash flow. And that could be a customer of yours. That's one of the biggest things I learned.
0: And I think that's what you just said there is one of the fastest ways to grow a loan balance. Instead of doing, you know, $150 loans, you do one $5,000 loan and your loan balance has gone up. And now you've become part of a network of business owners who will refer each other to you to write these large loans.
1: Oh, that is just a snowball effect. But there's another reason that you may choose to go after these larger loans. and that is. Because your competitors won't. They won't do it. Either they don't know that they even exist, or they're not willing to scale their finance charge to accommodate these larger loans. Uh, If you're located in a 20% state, good for you. But there isn't an idiot on the planet that's going to pay 20% a month and borrow $10,000 from you. They're not gonna do it okay you've got to make it fair for them and fair for yourself but it's a great way to grow your loan balance and no you're not giving away money you're selling it for a lot more than the bank does
0: now with the hundreds or thousands of clients that you had while doing the coaching what was the common denominator within the biggest mistakes that they were making
1: for the newer pawn brokers, the biggest mistake, bar none, just shines right through, is they were doing a horrible job of qualifying their customers at the counter, especially new customers. Uh, their redemption rates on pawn loans were horrible. Why? because they did not qualify the customer for the loan their effective yield on their loan base was tanked why because they didn't explain all the terms properly they didn't do a lot of things that should be done initially and then reiterated to more steady customers many many times so you know the. The new pawnbroker has a customer walk in the door with a widget under his arm, and he says, hi, what can I help you with? And the guy says, here, I got this. Puts it on the counter, and what do they say? You want to pawn this? That customer may not even know what a pawn loan is. Oh, yeah, I'll pawn it. What do you give me for it? Are they going to pick it up? Hell, no. You never qualified them. You never explained the terms to them. Well, while we're on a loan counter here, the... Pawnbrokers that were clients of mine that knew how to qualify a customer, how to get them to come back, how to make them grateful and provide them value for what they're paying for that loan. A lot of them didn't know one thing that I taught them. As a matter of fact, I had a pawnbroker in the Philippines with many, many locations. And after I taught him this one, he tried it out for six months in a couple of his stores. Implemented it in all of his stores throughout his chain, and he wrote me that he owes me a yacht. Uh, I don't really have a place to keep a yacht here, but uh, I appreciate the <laughs> offer. <clears throat> okay, to, to the to the more seasoned <laughs> pawn brokers that are listening, you sell things every day. Uh, pawn loans—that's selling money. Uh, Wholesale, retail, scrap gold. You sell all kinds of things in in your business. Yet, it's very rare to find a pawnbroker that is aggressively selling one of the most profitable items in the entire store. You never find it. So what's so valuable that you're not even selling and you don't even have to replace after you sell it? Pawn loan renewals, extensions, rollovers, whatever you call them in your area. If you learn and teach all of your frontline people to sell them aggressively, you will be amazed. You can sell them on the front end of the loan. Okay, Mrs. Smith, now you see this date here, it's the due date. That's not really the date that you have to pick up your pawn loan. Here's what you can do. You can sell them during the duration of the loan. You see a customer walk in the door, you recognize, you run over to the computer, you bring up their name. You walk over and say, hey, George, how's it going? What, are you on your lunch hour? He says, yeah, I just thought I'd come kick around a little bit. You know, George, you got two pawn loans that are due for renewal here within a week or two. If, if you'd like, I can take care of those for you right now while you're here so you don't have to bother coming back. I do? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's extend those because I'm not ready to pick them up yet. You can sell renewals on the back end of the loan hi, I'd like to pick my pawn loan up, Steve. Oh, sure, no problem. Now, you know that if you need this money for a little longer, you don't really have to pick it up today. All you need to do is just pay the service charge and then you don't have to worry about it. The customer will tell you, they'll say, oh, really? You know, I could use that money for a little longer. Let's let's just do what you said. Or the customer will say, are you kidding me? If I don't come home with that, my wife is going to scalp me. Doesn't matter. You're selling (laughs) wheels, rollovers, extensions, whatever you call them. And that costs you nothing. And it increases your cash flow in many, many ways.
0: I think one of the uh, I th- I couldn't agree with you more. And I think one of the mistakes that the pawn shop owner makes is not uh, explaining that to the employee, the importance of the rollover, the importance of the interest paid, or whatever you call it, as you said, and how that keeps the business going, how that pays the bills. And if you were to give that clarity to the team, and they were to know that importance, and you were to train them on it, just like you said, Steve, I believe that people would be making more money uh, default or redemption rates would go down and business would pick up for a lot of people listening today.
1: Yeah, they absolutely do. There's so many, so many things you can do. I mean, oh my God. Um, Back when I first started pawnbroking in Indiana, it was a tough state to do business in and uh, you had to mail out notices before you could uh, uh, sell a pawn item that uh, went unredeemed and all sorts of other things. And eventually they changed where you didn't have to mail out the notices. However, because I already had customers that relied on the notices, I gave them an option. Now, if you get delinquent on this and, and it gets to the point where I could sell it, would you like me to mail you a notice? And, of course, now it's drastically different. Would you like me to mail you a notice? Would you like me to email you a notice? Would you like me to text you a notice? How about some smoke signals? You know, just (laughs) anything, really. But so I still offered the option to send these notices out because a lot of longtime customers relied on them. Okay, I get it. You pay your bills, you wait till the shut-off notice, and then you pay the minimum. I understand. That's how you operate. But in providing these customers an option to get a notice, I also had the option of sending them a marketing and direct meal piece, or a coupon, or a reason, or an offer, or I've been studying marketing my entire adult life. It has made me a bunch of money and still does every day. And I love to do it. So I turned it into a marketing thing. There is no reason any pawnbroker listening to this cannot do the exact same thing. Just simple as can be.
0: I urge, so we have a mastermind called the Pawn Leaders Mastermind. And we have members in it where I urge them all the time to ask for email addresses and do text to phone conversations so that at some point they can not market to their customer, although it is marketing, but connect to their customer. And you hit on a point that's so right. We have the opportunity today more than ever. I can't imagine how business was, you know, 40 years ago or 1977 before I was even born that we can capture so much information from the client and use it with marketing to be able to uh, bring them into the store for a sale, bring them into the store to, to buy some more stuff. So I think today more than ever, if a pawnbroker who's listening to this isn't using you know, text message blast isn't using email marketing in some way, shape, or form. They're leaving tons of money on the table.
1: Tons of money on the table. I, I mean, come on. You've already got everything about them. You got your name, their name, their address, their their kids' names, their date of birth. You, you You've got everything you need to effectively market to a customer. I never sent out... Christmas cards or, or stuff like that to uh, to my uh, good customers, my steady customers. Be- Why? Because I'd have to cut through the clutter of all the other crap they get that time of the year. Did I send them a birthday card? No. I sent them a half birthday card. In other words, it was exactly six months after their birthday. Well, I just turned 60. No, you just turned 60 and a half. (laughs) And it was literally a, a, a birthday card cut in half. And the envelope was triangular. And I'd send these to my better customers. Happy half birthday. They would show them to everybody and tell them where they got them from. Can you believe this guy? He's crazy. Oh, my God. And of course, they'd always get a half birthday offer. Or something special give them a reason to come in and this you, you touched on a real good point here you because this is something that most pawnbrokers do not realize if you've got good customers in your database which all of you do should and and you can tell that they are good customers why don't you reach out and touch them every so often? Yes. I, I, had, I had so many clients where I said, okay, um, I'm coming in and I'm, and I'm selling you some scrap gold. What happens? Well, first this and then that and then that. And then we gr- make a deal and I print out the, the bill of sale and you sign it and get your money and walk away with a smile. I said, that's not what I want to know. I want to know what happens next. What do you mean? What happens after you make the deal with these people? And they love you, and they're bubbly, and they're happy, and you treated them so well, and you paid them so fair. What's next? Anything? Well, what could that possibly be? How about a thank you card? How about a thank you card with a business card in it? How about wording it that says, we sure hope that you were very satisfied with your transaction. If for any reason you weren't, here's the manager's cell phone number. If you are very happy with that tra- the transaction you made, we'd also like to know that the biggest compliment you can pay us is to refer your friends and family to us. What's that cost you, a dollar?
0: Yeah.
1: A bit Come on. Come on, what's what's the return on investment? Astounding.
0: And when I think about this, if you're in a street and a lot of people are on the street where there is four or five competitors in the market, if you are thinking the way Steve just mentioned, which is what happens after, because in the state of California, Steve, which is where I had my pawn shops, Mm -hmm. a loan was for four months plus a thirty-day grace period. Okay. So you don't see a client sometimes for five months. Right? So right. we had to reach out and touch them and, and send them a card or send them an email, send them a text blast, because I want them to walk in you know, two more times, three more times, as opposed to just coming in once every five months or once every four months to pick up their merchandise or pay the interest. And so those of you listening, again, you've got the database. Use it and be different than your competitor. Connect with the client, as Steve says. And I also agree that that will up your business for sure.
1: Oh, you go. We, had a, we need to get together. We would, uh, we would talk all night or, or get drunk before then. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> well, I just, uh,
0: it's, it's, very, it's, um, it's very frustrating to me to see a pawnbroker broker at, at an NPA show year after year and ask them, what are you doing that's new? Right? And there's nothing that's new. <laughs> You know, Oh, yeah, I'm selling probably. my gold to this person instead, or, oh, I switched softwares, or I did this. I said, but no, you have to be, I say this all the time on the show, leadership, marketing, and strategy. Steve, you said you were a student of marketing for so many years. If you're listening to this, you need to be a student of leadership. You have to be a marketing guru, and you have to have strategy down pat to beat your competitor.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, when, uh, when uh, they first came out with halfway decent software for pawn shops, I was absolutely elated. Uh, yeah, back when I started my pawn shops, there was no computers there was for pawn shops. But once they started it, I had a database that I could work with easily, kind of a built-in CRM system. And one of the things that I launched that I was absolutely shocked at how successful it was, was a lost pawn loan customer reactivation campaign. My, my computer would let me know if I hadn't seen this pawn loan customer in six months. And I'd send them out a card. We miss you. You haven't been around in a long time. I hope you're doing well enough where you don't need us. But if you do need us, stop in and see us. Here's a special you can come in and have. Hit them at six months, hit them at nine months. I sent you a a, a card that we missed you three months ago. Now we're starting to get a little concerned. We hope you're okay. Just pick up the phone and call us if you get a chance. Just let let us know that you're okay. And then I hit him with a third one at a year. And, and of course, it was even more humorous and attention-getting. And it was amazing how many people came in and said, you know, you hit me at six months, and I thought, yeah, okay, he wants me back. You hit me at nine months, and, and I thought, man... They really do miss me, and they know I'm gone. None of the other places I don't go to anymore know that I'm gone. And and sure enough, they'd end up coming in and they'd say, you're right, I haven't been here in X amount of time. Here's why. Could have been a, a real bad customer handling in a situation. Could have been... Any number of things. Could have been, I got a raise, I got a job. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Why don't you shop with us? I always give my pawn loan customers or former pawn loan customers the best deal I possibly can. You get special pricing. You're a current customer. So why don't you turn into a current customer again?
0: Steve, before this, before I hit record on this podcast, you said that we might upset some people. And I think I'm going to do that right about now. Good. I I guarantee you that you know more than 90% of the people listening at this moment are too lazy and haven't thought about implementing something like that. Because, because they've said, oh, that's a lot of work. I have to send out the cards, it costs too much. And what am I going to do? And that, like that gold nugget you just dropped right there. I can't imagine. I mean, we'll bring customers back in 5%, 10%. Even if you have a, you know, 10% ROI on that campaign, that's huge. Sure it is.
1: Sure it is. But there's, there's no way that anyone listening can expect an extreme income without exhibiting extreme behavior. Oh, it just. Uh, That's what it takes.
0: Say that again, please.
1: You cannot, you cannot ever expect an extreme income without exhibiting extreme behavior. The two go hand in hand. And if you're making excuses why you can't do this right now, extreme income and excuses are very incompatible. It doesn't work.
0: So... that's like a mic drop right there. That that's that what you just said is a mindset shifter. And about, you know, seven minutes ago in this interview, you talked about the six inches between your ears. And I'm guessing that when you worked with palm brokers, that was one of the biggest battles, is changing that mindset up here. It was it was
1: a battle on the seasoned pros. It was relatively simple on the newbies. Got it. I I had a, a fairly new pawnbroker in a major market near me that was having a hard time getting pawn loans out. I said, Steve, I don't know what to do. All they're doing is bringing me junk. So I, I can't take that stuff in. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Between yourself and your employees, you need a little shift in your mindset. If somebody comes on in with an anything, a, a rusty box of crappy tools in it, and they sincerely need to borrow some money, this is the first thing you think of. This is what you train yourself and your people to do. It's your job to do everything you can to get the shop's money. In their pocket find a way and usually almost always there's a way and even if that's the only thing he's got and he's almost out of gas and well I'll tell you what don't let me give you a few dollars on it you can go get some gas and, and something like that and if you got to throw it in the dumpster later who cares It it was just a few bucks, but I guarantee you when he reaches in his pocket for a gold chain or when he brings in his shotgun, he's going to bring it to you. Why? Because you cared because you helped them. That is the key to really having a very robust pawn loan business.
0: I I just had this conversation with a member of the mastermind and he said, Egal, you guys convinced me to take in more stuff. And now my, my default rate's going up a little bit. And I said, and? He said, well, I'm just not used to that. And I said, okay. I said, but how many more new customers did you get in? He said, I got a bunch in. I said, listen, it's all going to level off. When you lend something, make sure obviously that, you know, you can either sell it or you can sell it at cost. But when they need money and they've got that rifle, that gold chain, you are the person they're gonna come to. And you're gonna make the money and not the competitor. So I love love that you said that. I even love that you've said, you know, even if you have to throw in the dumpster, who cares? Like, I think people are just afraid sometimes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter.
1: that's the thing about throwing it away, throwing it in the dumpster. I can't sell this stuff. I I give him a chance. The the other thing is what your showroom looks like. Do you age your inventory? Do you know what is selling and what isn't selling and why? There's gotta be a reason. I mean, don't be a museum curator, (laughs) keep it fun, keep it interesting, keep it moving. And if you gotta throw something out, throw it out.
0: Don't, don't, (laughs) I think you just offended a bunch of people there because pawnbrokers are hoarders. That's what i say. <laughs> you don't
1: want to keep stale aged inventory in your store. Why? Number one reason, because whatever you've got in your showroom is what people are going to bring into pawn. I guarantee it. I've proven it hundreds of times with all of my clients and they just shook their heads and said, I never knew. Let me give you an example. Uh, I was at a, a convention and a friend of mine, I said, hey, man, I said, I'm going to go to a, a seminar here real quick on Rolex. I said, you want to come along, sit with me? He says, oh, God, no, Steve. I'll sit here and play the slot machine. I said, he said I never get Rolexes in. I said, do you ever have any in the store ever? He said, No. I worked out a deal with him, and as soon as I got back to my shop, I memoed him a real nice gent stainless state just, nothing too fancy. He put it in his, in his uh, jewelry case, put a decent price on it. Before he sold the watch, he took one in pawn. I didn't know you dealt in Rolex. When I, expanded the, when I expanded the storage area in one of my shops where I could take motorcycles, I went down the street and, and bought a Harley wholesale and put it in the showroom. Why? I wanted them to bring in Harleys. It really works that way. So that's why you don't want the aged, crappy-looking inventory hanging out in your showroom for six or nine months because it's like a magnet. Crap attracts crap. Man. If it's crap, get it out of there.
0: This yeah. episode is full of gold nuggets. It's full of incredible information. I think that if you're listening to the show, uh, finish listening to it, then rewind and then listen again. And then maybe you <laughs> know, three or four times. Because just with these two things, I mean, extreme income. If you are an extreme income, you have to show extreme behavior, and crap attracts crap could be a game shifter for a lot of pawnbrokers. I've got it certainly ma- could. I've got two more questions for you, Steve, because I know that we can probably go on for hours. And yes, we could. I'd love to invite you into the mastermind to talk with the guys there. Um, cool. My first question is, if Steve Krupnik was to open a pawn shop today, what would it look like?
1: It would look unlike ninety nine point nine percent of the shops in the country. It would be extremely niched. Just a very specialized area. Now, maybe we should have a part two sometime, you. I, I, that I made more riches in niches than I ever did off of wedding bands in my big brick and mortar stores. I looked for specialty areas to get into. I learned things that none of my competitors knew. Yes, I knew exactly what a Patek Philippe triple moon phase pink 18 karat pink gold was worth, and I could verify that it was real. And and I sure as hell wasn't gonna lowball anybody with something like that. Uh, But you learn those things and your competitors don't know that. And then the competitors that you actually like, and there were a couple that I liked, they didn't care that much for me, but they loved to send me that merchandise. And, oh, you you want to send this over to Steve, oh, go over to the South Bend store, do this, do that. Because they knew if I did business with the person, I'd give them a little kickback. I gave them a reason to send me customers. You can have referrals with your uh competition you can have referrals with uh uh, with your customers you can have multiple levels of referral systems with your customers as i did very successfully uh there's just so much you can do i had vip cards for customers who the heck did i learn that from the casinos Uh, and and it was great oh they loved it oh my god oh um, you can have reciprocal referrals with different businesses you're not competing with. That's funny. Every time somebody carried out a pizza from Bruno's Pizza in my area, it had my coupon on the box. And every time somebody picked up a pawn loan, they got a coupon for Bruno's Pizza. What did it cost us? Almost nothing. What did it get us? lots of new customers
0: and i want to say steve that if anybody is listening thinking that doesn't work today you are dead wrong dead wrong there is no better way to market than what steve is talking about um obviously with social media you know facebook and and instagram and all these types of things but if you don't have the big funds to do these types of things Go to your local pizza shop and do cross promotion. Go to the local shop, you know, the grocery store. Morris and I built our business into millions in pawn because our competitor had so much money to advertise on television. So we would go to the supermarkets and we would pay for people's groceries and we give them a card, right? Because we didn't have the thousands and thousands. We had a couple hundred bucks. I'll pay 50 bucks here, 20 bucks here, 30 bucks here. Or we'd go to the local taco shop. And we'd say, hey, we'll buy 500 tacos at a discounted price. When somebody buys some rolled tacos today, just give them our our flyer. Brilliant. You know?
1: Not a big investment, not a big part of your time, but it's different than what everybody else is doing. And that's huge. I mean, even if you do not do any marketing in your pawn shop, and I'm sure there's people listening that do not, I can give you one tip on what not to do: don't do what everybody else is doing. Yeah, don't do what your competitors are doing because they don't know marketing. Seriously, yeah, do something different. Differentiate yourself.
0: Love so it. many yes. ways to do it. Be different. Be bold. Be be extreme, like you say. And with that, Steve, um, I put into my to the pollinators Leaders podcast community on Facebook, and I said, "Hey, Steve Krupnick's coming on." Um, what questions do you want to ask them? Now, I haven't talked to you about this before. No. Uh, they asked me to ask you about Red's Hourglass.
1: Ha! <laughs> well, they, they say you can't buy the front page on the newspaper. I did. I had a business partner that I started out with in my first pawn shop. Elderly fellow, real character. And uh, he planned out when he passed away, I was gonna take care of this and that for him. And one of the things he wanted me to do was to, to take his cremains, his ashes, and put them in a big hand-blown hourglass. And he says, just put it over where people can see it in the store, and anytime you want some work out of me, flip me over. <laughs> So we had, we had to, it's still in my office as a matter of fact, but uh, uh, we had so much fun with that and the customers loved it and they'd come by and and they'd still look up the hourglass that was sitting on the shelves. Hey, Red, how you doing? You flipped him over lately, is he working? Well, I, I did a press release on how much fun we had with uh, this hourglass from my wacky business partner and uh, put in some comments from some of the customers and that sort of thing. The local newspaper got right onto it. Front page story, huge picture. I had radio stations coming in and interviewing me. I had a TV station coming in. They wanted to see the hourglass. Well, it's still around, but we had so much fun with it. Would that have happened had I not? just composed a nice little press release and got it out there? No, that never would have happened. It was just simple marketing and a lot of fun. And that's one of the things that I just briefly want to mention to the people listening to this. If you're not having fun in your pawn shop, you're doing something real wrong. Real wrong. You've got to have fun. You've got to enjoy yourself. You've got to relax. You've got to... Love what you do, but don't take yourself or the business too seriously. Uh, it, it, can, it can really mess you up. If you're not having fun, you need to, you need to change something.
0: Yeah, uh, Steve, is there a book that you would recommend for somebody listening uh, to read on marketing? Something that you you know that you highly recommend that you love that it changed the way you do business.
1: Oh God! There's so many of them, and I, it seems like I'm always reading marketing. What I'd have to do is I'd have to go through my bookshelves and and see which ones really jump out of me and say, "Aha! I remember that one." And like I say, if we have a part two to this, because I could go on for about a week, um, I will. I will list a couple of books uh, uh, on- uh, And if you you
0: give me the names of the books, I can put it into the show notes. That way people, when they're listening to the podcast, we have show notes below, and I can just uh, make the Amazon link clickable so they can go and, and purchase the book right away.
1: There's one that comes to mind, I don't remember the author or the actual name of the book, but if you go to a site like Amazon and type in grassroots marketing, You'll probably find it Got because it. that's the type of marketing that is personal. It's very effective. It's very, very cost-effective, and it's invisible. Your competitors have no idea what you're doing.
0: Is it uh, the No BS Grassroots Marketing book?
1: You know, it, it, it might have been one of the Kennedy series. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Dan Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, those uh the. I think it was. Awesome. Boy, you nailed it.
0: Yeah, well, I just I just, you know, popped on Amazon. I put grassroots marketing. It's the number one uh, book that popped up. So awesome. and,
1: and and those things work in a pawn job, no matter what size you are. If if you're a little mom and pop to if you've got 40 locations, they
0: work. Steve, I think we're gonna have to have a part two, uh, because this has been incredible. You sent me an email saying, let's have fun. Let's give a ton of value. And you have way exceeded uh, my expectation as a host. And I hope the expectation of the listeners. Uh, I want to thank you for everything that you did for Palm Broking. You, as a young Palm Broker myself, watching your videos, you made it Palm Broking cool before, uh, you know, the TV shows were out. And you gave content and you were helping people. So I appreciate you for that.
1: Hey, we're all doing what we can to make the industry as best as it can be and I really appreciate what you're doing too. And it's been my absolute pleasure to be on today. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you. And for those of you who know that I usually speak a lot more on these podcasts, with a voice like Steve's, I just wanted to hear him speak, especially now that you are, you're doing voiceovers full time, right?
1: Yes, that's that's my newest gig. I'm doing voiceovers full time. As a matter of fact, I'm talking to you from a recording studio. Yep. So th- that's that's why, and uh, I've enjoyed it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. But uh, still, I look back at my pawn breaking days and I just smile and shake my head. That's uh, that. What a gig! Yeah. My God,
0: Steve. Thank you so much for being on uh, Pawn Family. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Pawn Leaders Podcast. If you want to talk about this podcast, ask any questions, uh, just have a conversation, go to Facebook, join the group if you haven't joined it. It's Pawn Leaders Podcast Community. And if you want to have a conversation with me, 30 minutes, uh, just, you know, just to talk about your pawn shop, what help you need, it's free. Uh, Just go to pawnleaders.com, fill out the form, and let's have a chat. And uh, see you guys on the next episode. Thank you so much, Steve.
1: Thank you very much and thank you for what you're doing for the industry. I appreciate it and I'm sure your listeners do too.